a lot of people will talk about the good life that Alcoholics Anonymous gave them or the good gifts of recovery. And I, I kind of have changed my perception on that. I, I feel like what AA and the, these beautiful spiritual exercises have done for me is they made me available for the love that was trying to get at me. They've made me available for the opportunities that I just kept ignoring or destroying. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings from Studio AA deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice of our friend, Mr. Matthew M. That you heard at the beginning of this here episode, episode number Trace Trace, Trace, 333. Oh my goodness, we're up to 30, 333. You will be hearing so much more from Mr. Matthew M. in just a moment. But first things first, this here episode is brought to you by Brad. What did Brad do, you may ask? Well, Brad went to our humble little website, www.soberspeak.com. He clicked on the little yellow donate tab and he made a contribution. So thank you, Mr. Brad, for your generosity. This here episode is coming right out to you. And if you're out there in... The universe, uh, the land where you are listening to this from, sorry, I'm not coming up with the right words there. If you're feeling restless, irritable, and discontent, we are help you to get back on the beam. And we're so glad you have joined us, all of you. And I really mean that. As I say many, many, many times, I know you have... So, so many other things you could be doing uh, with your time, and the fact that you come in here and spend it with me and our listeners and our community, um, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by it, and I am very grateful for that. You know, you could be out there, you could be watching, I don't know, Big Brother on TV or something like that, you could be... Um, I don't know. You could be, uh, there's a ton of things you could be doing, right? You could be scrolling on the, um, 
uh, Instagram application or something. You could be scrolling on. You, there's so many things you could be doing, but I'm glad you've come here. And uh, maybe you're multitasking. In other words, you could be working out of the gym. You could be cleaning up at the house. You could be doing all kinds of things. There's some things I don't know want to know if you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep it at that. All right. All right. So, um, I just got back from a meeting a little bit ago, uh, and it's been on my mind and the, the subject was along the lines of life gets lifey, right? I mean, things happen, uh, even though we're doing the right things sometimes in recovery and taking the next right step. It doesn't mean that, uh, let me put it this way. I think there's another book that says rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? It doesn't mean that things aren't going to happen in our lives. One of my favorite sayings has always been, and I heard this somewhere in the rooms of AA many years ago, and it says, uh, life's been good to me. It let hardly anything work out the way I had it planned. <laughs> in other words, I have all these plans and I have all these thoughts in my head about how this life is going to work out and how it should be and how things need to go in this particular order. But many times, as you know, it doesn't work out that way. I was actually uh, talking to somebody that's going to be on the podcast in, in the future, and she came up with this uh, great term. Uh, she said, you know, this thing called recovery uh it's a beautiful mess. And I think I've heard that before, but this is one of the first times that it has stuck, you know, and this thing called recovery is a beautiful mess. Um, it's, it, 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 it is so messy and disjointed and unpredictable sometimes. But if I just follow the process and do the next right thing, I always see that it was as it was supposed to be at that time, but many times I can't see that when I'm actually in the moment. Anyway, that's a little bit about what was on my mind this afternoon. All right, so we are on to Mr. Matthew M. from Santa Paula, California. It is so good to have Matthew back again. He's such a a sweet guy, and he's so insightful, and um, he, I, he, oh, he, I, I just love talking to Matthew. And this particular episode is entitled, AA Made Me Available for the Love That Was Trying to Get at Me. We talk about what, my, what uh, Matthew calls being available for the richness of life, that uh, life offers up uh, Matthew's new grandbaby and the miracle behind that story it is quite a story. His trip to recently to uh, New Zealand. Hello to all you Kiwis out there that are listening in. Uh, he went to New Zealand with Mr. Bill C and he talks about that trip. Uh, he talks about the serenity prayer and how Matthew sees that prayer in a different light now. And he explains that the analogy of the coal miner 
as it relates to recovery and much more. You'll see I put a little uh, audio clip on the back of this episode. Uh, we had a little bit of a te- technical difficulties, but Matthew's a real pro and we talk about that. And as usual, we'll have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this here episode. Enjoy Mr. Matthew M. It's so good to have him back. Okay, everybody. So we are sitting here once again. For those of you who have been a listener to the uh, to the podcast for uh, any sort of significant period of time, you will know this voice when you hear it. Uh, Mr. Matthew M. So Mr. Matthew M., why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you would choose, and tell people where you live in this great land of ours, please. Hey, John. So good to see you. I'm Matthew uh, am, I guess, in this anonymous program. My sobriety date's May 16th, 1993. So this year I celebrated 30 years of recovery, which was really sweet for me because I got sober when I was 30 years old. And I um, live in Santa Paula, California, which is in Southern California. It's a little farming town kind of near Ojai. So how do you spell that again? So it's P- I know I've spelled it P A. P-A-O-L-O, right? No, no. Santa, like Santa Claus and Paula, P-A-U-L-A. Just like Paula. Gotcha. Yep. Cool. St. Paula. And I don't know if you saw that when we were first starting here or even heard it, but I have one of these desks that goes up and down and the... My my whole computer went up and down and trying to stop it. From, <laughs> I, it. I was like, no, 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 no. You, you have to press this little button so it doesn't go. And I think I'm good now. We shall see. But if it happens again, you'll know what's going on. Uh, anyway, uh, so it's been, oh gosh, I, it's been over a year since we talked last. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how long. I haven't gone back and seen it. But for those of you... Uh, who haven't heard Matthew before, because we get new people coming on, right? And you want to go back and listen to all of Matthew's episodes, all you got to do is look up the the name Matthew in a search queue for this podcast, and you will be able to find it. And Matthew did the 12, as he calls them, surrenders, right? Which is basically the same thing as the 12 steps. And he took us through all of those at one point in time. And uh, anyway, I'm just, I'm so, I'm tickled pink to have you back. This is cool. Good um, to be with you. So just a couple of things just to start. I know because you sent me a picture you are a new grandpa now. I am. So what, why don't you take us through a little bit of that? You know, I mean, I started to say how it came about. I guess we know how people have yeah, learned. But- that's a private matter of my daughter's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it's because I feel like I do know your audience a little bit. And thank you for forwarding me the nice things that they send to you. And I've met people like recently overseas that listen to your podcast. Um, you know, you know, John, that May 16th, 1993 uh, was my daughter's birthday. My first child was born on May 16th, 1993. It was a very challenging time. We, Her mother and I weren't together very well and uh, we didn't stay together. And, and, you know, that day that I think I've described on your podcast, I thought I was going to rehab and I got a phone call that I was needed to go to the hospital because Phoebe was born. And I went and, and I, I saw her and 
you know, I, I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast, but I've described it to you guys is that looking at how beautiful Anna, the mother of my daughter and Phoebe were on that day, although no woman looks her best when they've just been in labor for 12 hours, she just had something beautiful about her, some glow about her. And Phoebe, of course, was this innocent perfection. And I just felt disgusting. I felt sick to my stomach and repulsed by them. And I think, you know, I think I've described on this podcast, I can't remember, but you know, I know now from working in Alcoholics Anonymous for all these years is that I was in what we refer to as the bondage of self. And when you're in the bondage of self, you paint everything with your own ugliness, or at least I do. You know, when I look at the world and I'm a liar, everyone's a liar. When I look at the world and I'm a cheat, everyone's a cheat. And I just didn't love myself at all because I had just lost all my character and my moral compass. So I think being confronted with these beautiful women, I didn't know where to put them because they were so genuine and authentic that it was really a very dark day for me, the day my daughter was born. And I think, as you know, I went home and and thought about ending my life, but my brother was standing in my doorway and stopped me from going inside. So that's really important to lay the groundwork with how magical it was on March 9th when my grandson Emmett was born. So 30 years later, I've been married for 28 years to Philippa. Phoebe has grown up with four parents. Her mother and I both got married around the same time when Phoebe was around two. And she called us in February and said, I need you to come up in early March. And we went up there and she, we stayed at a hotel that was convenient in Portland near where this was going to happen. And we got the phone call and, and we went down there and, you know, what a different experience, you know, walking into the room and, and having Phoebe look, you know, the same, but it's been through all this, all this, uh, uh, labor and, you know, exhausted and sweaty, but just so beautiful, just so genuine and authentic and madly in love with this new being that she created and her and her partner were standing there and, and to have Phoebe hold, hand me Emmett and to feel not in the bondage of self, to feel love in the room and light in the room and, and just to be available for it. You know, I've been thinking about this more lately a lot of people talk about the good life that Alcoholics Anonymous gave them or the good gifts of recovery. And I, I kind of have changed my perception on that. I, I feel like what AA and the, these beautiful spiritual exercises have done for me is they made me available for the love that was trying to get at me. They've made me available for the opportunities that I just kept ignoring or destroying. You know, so... I was available in that room in, in, you know, March 9th in Portland with Phoebe. And it wasn't about me, you know, like the day Phoebe was born, I, I was so blinded by me everywhere I looked and being there in that room and Pip was there and Anna was there and everybody was hugging each other and Emmett's just beautiful. And Phoebe and I were just looking at each other crying. And, you know, I can't tell you it's, it's that, you know, the phrase that is used in, in some faiths is being born again, you know? And, and I said a prayer the day that I met Phoebe and Anna for the first time in May of 1993. I, would, I remember it very vividly. I was going down the stairs in the hospital and my prayer was, God, please make it so these two women never see me again. 
because I just knew that I didn't belong on the beautiful planet that they seemed to live on. And I also knew that I would make it bad. I would hurt them some way, physically, emotionally. I would just do something stupid. And I prayed this prayer, God, make it so they never see me again. And, and you know, God answered my prayer. They've never seen that person ever again. Every day that Phoebe has known me, I have been sober. In 30 years into sobriety, Phoebe handed me with faith and confidence and trust her child because I'm Phoebe's safe space. I'm Phoebe's dad, you know? So it's just an interesting thing when you look back at your prayers and you realize, wow, I didn't have to kill myself. I just had to become a completely different person. That's so sweet, Matthew. I love it. I love how you said, um, I've become available. Uh, right. And, and that is a, 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 that, that's a great, oh, what a way to phrase that. Uh, and, you know, that's what AA helps us to do is become available to the things that are going on all around us anyway. It, it's so true. And it's such a funny thing, you know, Bill and Bob were very bright, right? And they they watched what was happening to them and thank God they took notes, right? But this whole thing about uh you know the the fear of of everything and and the 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 bondage of self and all those things. I'm kind of losing my train. I Oh, that's it. I my I love the line my life had become unmanageable. Our lives had become unmanageable. I I just think that they were kind of trying to slowly goad us into realizing the spiritual truths that our lives will always be unmanageable. And and I think about that, you know, it when a newcomer gets 6 months or a year and they get a car and a decent job and maybe a girlfriend and they're like, I just don't, I still don't feel like my life's manageable. And I'm like, well, it's gotten a lot bigger since the last time you could manage it. <laughs> what makes you think you're going to manage it now? And, and that's maybe what I mean about being available. Life is rich and dynamic. And life has many flavors, sweet, bitter, savory, mild, spicy, all those flavors. And the chef, which is not me, is making these incredible meals every day. And I'm not supposed to run the kitchen. I'm supposed to come to the table, right? And I think, I, you know, if I had killed myself in May of 1993, Phoebe may very likely have had this baby on March 9th. I just wouldn't have been available for the life that was going to happen anyway. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's a really good thing to, to make peace with the fact that we are not management material. <laughs> <laughs> that we are invited to be to the banquet and please taste everything. I used to just sit at the dessert table and make myself sick, you know, and then I got sober <laughs> and developed a wider palate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. I'm going to turn the corner on you a little bit. I know uh, I've actually just ta recently talked to, to Bill C as well. I know you guys all went to, uh, New Zealand. And for all of our New Zealand listeners out there, I just want to, uh, well, even for the other listeners, uh, the, uh, oh, what's the name of people who live in New Zealand? The what? The, the Maori? Uh, the, no, 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 no. They have a, a term for oh, people, uh, Kiwis. Kiwis, yes, for all the yeah. Kiwis out there. Thank you very much. Why don't you go ahead and, and tell, walk us through a little bit of your trip, what happened there, how it came about, and just, just the highlights. 
Yeah, okay. Well, we went to Bill and I and Karen came with us. We went to New Zealand and Australia, and they're very wise over there because they're in the middle of nowhere that they combine their conferences. They're a week apart. So when they invite speakers, they can pitch in together to get speakers out there. So we were supposed to go last year, but they had another outbreak of COVID and they're very locked down since they're an island. They can control the the spread very easily so we were you know not we just put it on hold and then we got invited to go and they had a conference in new zealand and a conference in australia and first was new zealand and i have to say you know from the very first moment you i got there I, you know first of all i love bill he's my closest closest male friend he's my father figure my dad father's been dead a long time and, and just traveling it's amazing we still got closer we still got more intimate and we've been all over the world. We've been a number of countries together. And so that was the first thing, but you know, I landed and a guy picked us up at the airport and, and he talked to me on the way. And this is the, the Paul McQuaid was there, Paul McHugh. And he said, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is the only place on earth where you can walk into a room full of strangers and reminisce, <laughs> you know, and I got in this car with this guy and he started telling me how he didn't go to many meetings, beautiful guy named Sean. And I was sort of chiding him about the importance of meetings. And then he explained his child had a birth defect and was very hands-on to take care of him. And we were just so intimate. And even while it was happening, I thought, where on earth does this happen? That I've known this guy for 15 minutes and he's being probably as vulnerable with me as with his closest, closest friends. You know, one of the things people get curious about what it's like to be a speaker and go do these things. And I'll tell you, that is one of the gifts is like, I have been to hundreds, hundreds of places and gotten into cars with strangers. Some are stranger than others, I might add. <laughs> but the conversations that happen are always unusual, always very intimate. And when you have that happen, over and over, where you get it, land in a strange place you've never been before, get into somebody's car who you've never met, drive for 20 minutes or three hours, it depends, I've been in those situations, and have these conversations of, of heart and vulnerability and talking about our weaknesses and our defects and our, and our strive to be healthy, you know, centered spiritual humans, it just makes the world a lot less antagonistic in my mind. I don't think the world is threatening, at least not when you break it down into individuals, you know, the, the mass thinking and that kind of stuff can be scary, but I've met all these people and, and New Zealand was no different. I got into a car with a guy I didn't know. By the end of it, we were practically crying, holding each other, talking about our families and the miracle of recovery. I got to meet his wife. She came to the, to the, you know, event. And it was beautiful. It, you know, New Zealand is a very small town feeling to it. And uh, there were, you know, those soldiers that made this happen. There are five or six key people and then, you know, a dozen or so other people that made this happen. And I have to say, I don't know what Bill said about it, but I go to a lot of these conferences and I enjoy all of them. But this is one I thought, man, if I weren't speaking here, I would really want to be at this. This is cool. You know, it was the people were great. The speakers were great. Everybody was completely different. And, uh, and even in my talk, I talked about steps two and three and step 11. And I said things I'd never said before because I had been soaking in their 
warmth and their uh, hospitality and their openness for a week before I open my mouth on their stage, you know. So that as a as a kind of a dovetail to that, do you ever find uh, yourself? I don't know, oversharing when you're, you know, because we're so used to those kind of conversations, both right. with each other and, you know, group right. settings and all that kind of stuff. Do you ever find yourself in like a business meeting and go, oh, wow, maybe I just kind of overshare it? <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. That's a good point because I just said the world is less antagonistic. I work at a Fortune 500 company and I have a fairly, you know, mid to high level job. and. It is an interesting thing because one of the things that I hear a lot from my other business people is, God, there aren't a lot of people like you at this company. And I'm like, I don't know if they're complimenting me or not, right? Because I tend to say what I'm thinking. And I'm also not too defensive about my past. They don't, nobody there knows I'm in recovery, right? But they know that I do something on the weekends that's a personal uh, mission of mine. I just don't discuss it. And uh, so, yeah, I do. I, I, I think my personality is certainly affected by this life and that I'm, I'm sure there's a file for me at Human Resources where everybody, you know, <laughs> locked and loaded should I step over the line. So That's a very observant thing. I will tell you a funny story, though. I got picked up once in Louisiana and I'm a talker. I talk a lot. And I got in the car with this guy and it was a long drive to this parish and they call it parishes or communities where we were doing it bill and jay and i were going to do a weekend on sponsorship and this guy started talking and he talked the whole drive a couple of hours and i was thinking i, I kind of have prayed to be a better listener so i sort of owe the world more listening right than, than talking <laughs> so i was with that guy his name was rusty and i listened to him and listened to him and he was very entertaining he had great stories but I saw his face when we got to the place and I opened the door and a guy said, are you Matthew M from Long Beach? And I said, yes. And Rusty, who'd been talking the whole time, goes, you're Matthew M from Long Beach? You didn't have any idea. <laughs> and I can see how embarrassed he was that he didn't even know my name. And I thought, dude, I can totally relate. I've been you in almost most of my life. And we became pretty good friends that weekend. But it was, it was oh, funny. That's funny. That's funny. Okay, so I want to talk to you. I want to kind of get more into the, you know, some recovery type subjects, if you will, here. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about the serenity prayer. You had mentioned earlier that you have, I don't know, kind of got a, a different view nowadays on the serenity prayer, what it means to you, how you process it, et cetera. So talk to me about the serenity prayer, what that means to you now versus what it means to you when you first got sober. Yeah, thank you, John, for coming back to that because it is something that I've I've just percolated in a lot. And um, when I was new, I think I might have said on this podcast, I, I can't. I'm sorry, I just can't remember because I talked to so many people. But you know, the Serenity Prayer. I'm one of those guys that likes to boil things down, cut to the chase. I got it figured out. I'm sure I'm not alone in Alcoholics Anonymous that way. And when we first were saying it you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That's about as far as I got, as far as paying attention to that very short prayer. And in my head, I edited it down to God, help me to put up with the stuff that I don't like, right? 
I thought that's what it meant. I thought, God, help me to put up with all this BS that happens every day. And when you're new, there's a lot of stuff you don't like, right? <laughs> but then, you know, I, I really do very seriously practice the 11th step. And, you know, we talked about the third step and it's come to, you know, it's funny to me. I've, I've talked to people who talk, say they've worked or they have turned their will in their life over to a higher power, but they don't pray and meditate. And I'm like, well, then there's no evidence that you've turned your will in your life over to my, like I, I've created the most important relationship in my life. I just don't spend any time with it. Right. <laughs> and so like Boy. meditation is part of the third step in a way I'm, I'm spending some time in silence without me being the focus with maybe the great, all there is being the focus. And, and when you do that, as long as I've been doing it, I I've been sober 30 years and I'm, I've meditated every day for 19 years and I pray. And as I said before in your podcast, I don't pray to a being who's interpreting my words. I pray in my circumstances and my circumstances don't change, but my perception of my circumstances changes. That's what meditation and prayer have gifted me. And one of the things I got from a lot of meditation is a quiet center where I know it's there. And if you sit there long enough, if you try this repeatedly enough and your mind calms down or you get bored with the five movies, your mind reruns every day and you just sit, you realize that my space, my serenity, my centeredness is exactly the same as yours. And I don't mean like yours looks like mine. I mean, they're, they're the same. They're the spirit. They're the quiet soul centeredness. And that's what that prayer, the first line is, God, grant me, give, gift me, give me the gift of serenity, of spiritual centeredness, of the peace that surpasses all understanding for, to take a Christian scripture, right? There's many, many scriptures in every religion that talks about this the sustaining energy that that becomes obvious in silence and becomes obvious in stillness. So God grant me that to accept life as it is, to welcome even. You know, your listeners and you know, I was I'm married to probably the hottest chick I've ever met. And I played in a rock band for a long time. <laughs> so I've met some pretty beautiful women. But I married this beautiful woman and she had a stroke, you know, 22 years ago, 21 years ago. And she's been, you know, sort of lopsided and paralyzed and she looks a lot different. Right. But I welcome and accept her just like she is because it didn't happen all at once. And I want to talk about fear in a second, but it, our lives, I was with her as these things unfolded and I was able to have enough spiritual centeredness to accept the things I couldn't change. And as you stay sober longer, you go, wow, I'm, I welcome things I thought would, you know, the bitter part of the, the meal, the savory part with the spices part, you know, that I would have avoided sitting at the, the dessert table. I've come to appreciate those flavors, right? So I've got this, I've been granted some spiritual serenity to accept the things I can't change. My wife's disability, my children's struggles, my different, you know, whatever, financial things. Well, like we all have it. We all have. The second line says the courage to change the things we can. Now, remember, I didn't even go there in early sobriety. I was just praying for the patients to put up with the stuff I don't like. <laughs> but then I'd hear the courage to change. And, and my experience is if you're actually 
getting serenity, if you're cultivating a spiritual centeredness through whatever, you know, helping others, prayer, meditation, these 12 spiritual exercises, eventually you will have to, you will be called upon enough to change. You'll say, hey, in this place where I can accept the world, where I can accept life as it is and even welcome it, I can see there's parts of me that don't function well here that are blocking me that are, you know, whatever my, my lusts, my, my selfishness, my greed, you know, my, you know, my irritatedness, all these things that we call them character defects. Right. But you start to see if you're in a, if you've got serenity, most of the bumps in the road I put there. Right. So there's, you do develop courage. You know, for me, it was uh, halting. I mean, I don't want to change too fast. (laughs) Let's not rush into anything. But as I become more and more connected spiritually, and and again, I'm not talking about a being. My phrase I like is the timeless plentitude of being. As I get connected to that, you know, overwhelming, so obvious power, then I will definitely start to clean up my room in a way. I'll start to make my bed, you know, as an analogy. I'll start to try to be less selfish, more present, less lustful, more intimate, less greedy, more of a worker among workers. And my postulate with this prayer is if I've been granted serenity a number of days in a row or windows of it, moments of it, and I've risen to the challenge of cleaning up my space so the serenity can shine in through all the windows, the wisdom just comes. If I wake up every day and say, I will try to change today in your likeness with your help. And I have all these beautiful things like getting handed a grandson in a room full of light and love, you know, or, or holding, I fell asleep last night, holding my wife's hand. We do that almost every night. You know, we've been doing this for 28 years. If I start to feel all of those things, the life on life's terms and and the beauty, and I rise to the challenge of being less, you know, uh, clumsy and less oaf-like in the way I approach my life, wisdom just is the gift of those things combined. You know, I know what night to fight. I know where to put my efforts. And, you know, as a result, I'm, I have some wisdom. If wisdom means uh, knowledge and approach that transcends my experience, then I do. We, the other thing I wanted to cover with you was um, maintaining what do you, so you, you travel a lot, right? You get to see a lot of people out there. Um, you also get to see a lot of people in your group and talk to a lot of people in AA. What do you see in terms of people maintaining, if you will, their spiritual condition? Is there anything that has come to mind for you lately in that arena? Yeah, yes. There, it, well, lately, in, as in the last couple of years, you know, there was kind of the, the, the byproduct of the pause of COVID was I got to stay home you know, and be with my wife. And that was really lovely. It turns out we like each other. It was nice. We hadn't been <laughs> together that many days in a row in 18 years because I've been flying around and I work, I travel for work. But when I get out there, you know, and, and I love AA, you know how much I love AA. And I think these, 
I think these steps can be mined for deeper and deeper treasure, right? I think powerlessness, you could spend a year on the profound spiritual truth of powerlessness, right? Coming to believe there's a power. That's really like if you just, if I made a movie called Coming to Believe, it would be, I mean, you could do a whole, you could do a whole mini series on it because so many amazing things might make me believe that didn't make you believe or yada, 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 right? So when I think of all the richness in these steps and I go to these conferences and people pull me aside and want to talk, you know, 99% of the time, I think, will have you applied these steps. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I am not a teacher. I'm a witness of my experience. Right. But I did read a quote a long time ago that said, what most people consider problems is really a lack of context. Right. And I think one of the things these steps have us do is put things in context. I heard, like, you hear a little turn of a phrase that makes something new to you. And I was in, I think Tim said it in New Zealand. He said, when someone else behaves a certain way and I make myself upset. Now that's loaded into the steps. We talk about our side of the street, what were our faults and mistakes, but I love the poetry of that. So whoever they are, your spouse, the neighbor, the driver on the freeway, they behave a certain way and I make myself upset. That's my choice. I don't have to, right? There, I would, if I, if you were sitting next to me, I go, do you see how that guy made me upset, <laughs> right? Do you see how my wife's momentary lapse of kindness has turned <laughs> me into a, a whirling dervish. You know, there, no one is making me upset but me. And sometimes, like, I'll tell you to be more specific about what I see is people come and go, you know, they hear somebody speak and they go, I, I have this problem. And they talk about the problem. And some things are real problems. You know, someone's sick or dying or they're caring for somebody in their life like I do, right? And I can empathize. But a lot of times I'm like, well, how much are you meditating? You know, how much time do you spend with stillness? How much, are, you know, are you turning things over? When was the last time you really helped somebody? I had a guy come up to me in the hallway in New Zealand and saying, AA doesn't work. And I said, really? Have you tried the steps? And he goes, I've worked the steps, you know, past tense. And I said, you really have? I said, it, so do you meditate? No. Have you made your amends? I made one of them. And he can't stay sober. I go, so you're really not, you know, I always get suspicious when people say past tense, I work the step. It says in my book, we practice these spiritual things, right? But this guy wanted to say AA doesn't work. And he wasn't applying the steps to even the most fundamental thing, his drinking. Mm. I had a woman call me the other day from overseas and she's troubled by herself. And I said, this is, you know, by her own thoughts, her own her own um, uh, compulsive thinking. Hey, welcome to being human. I, I'm right there with you. But I'm like, let's apply the steps. You're powerless over your thinking, right? And she asked me, is it ever going to go away? This, I'm not good enough or they should be different. And I go, my experience is that's a radio that the on-off switch is broken off of, <laughs> but you learn to turn it out, right? And I think we tend, I see in AA members, they tend to still want to focus on some uniquely, unique problem instead of applying these pervasive steps, right? I have tinnitus. I don't even know how to say it. I have a ringing in my ears. I have a tinnitus. tinnitus. Yeah, tinnitus. Yeah, yeah. Think, yeah. It's something like that. 
I don't care how to say it. It doesn't matter. I've had it for a long time. I played loud music for a long time. I don't pay any attention to it. You know, why would I? When I meditate, it gets a little bit more in the forefront because everything else is quiet. But I think a lot of times Alcoholics Anonymous are like, all I can hear is ringing in my ears. You know, when there's music and there's the wind and there's someone trying to say I love you or or there's somebody at work saying thank you and they're focusing on these things. And, and I have not found anything yet in my life that won't yield to these steps, you know? So that's, that's what I see is people in the solution, in a conference, talking about an issue that they haven't applied the solution to. So one of the things that I think that one of the fundamental things we say in, in Alcoholics Anonymous is one day at a time, right? And yet, 90% of our fears are not here right now. And you and I talked about, you know, one of the things Jay said to me, my grand sponsor, when I was having challenges taking care of my children and my wife early in the early days of her disability, was he said, you know, fear is the false belief. You won't have the resources you need to meet the challenges of the present moment. That was so profound to me. And I'm going to say that again. Fear is the false belief. I won't have the the resources I need to meet the challenges of the present moment. And, and another analogy I love about fear is the coal miner. The coal miner goes down in the mine and he's got a light on his helmet and there's danger outside the, the, where the light can reach. And as he goes deeper in the mine, there's danger behind him where the light can't reach, but where he is, he has the light. And with the light, he sees everything he needs to know to function safely in the environment. Whatever the dangers are, you can identify them because there's light where he's standing. And when I think about one day at a time, I think of what that means to me is staying sober and working these steps and working with others and praying and meditating and all of the things that come with this beautiful program. I get enough God for today. I get enough intuition for today. I get enough patience for today, or I get enough forgiveness for my lack of patience for today. So the only place that I'm going to have safety is today, one day at a time. When I fear about my financial situation in the future, or my children's health in the future, or my health in the future, or something that's threatening my business, all I do is today. All I can work with is today. One of the things I work with is people who have cancer. And when somebody gets the nod that they have cancer, they go immediately to the future. They go immediately to a painful death. And with that, with that painful death that they perceive when someone diagnoses them with cancer, they think it's going to be awful. Well, who's going to take care of my family? That's not here. That's not one day at a time. That's not where God is. That's not where my intuition will suffice. It's only now, right? And what I've noticed walking through illness with people, walking through my wife's disability, I have an autoimmune disease that threatened to take away my ability to play guitar, is it isn't. You don't rush to the end. You go to a doctor's appointment and you have uncomfortable conversations and you come home and some days my arms hurt because the nerves are fluttering and some days they don't because I'm treated. And I guess what I'm trying to say is 
I always have the resources I need to meet the challenges of the present moment. I very rarely have the resources I need to meet the challenges I haven't seen yet, but I'll have them when I get there. And I think sometimes people forget one day at a time means where you're standing, what you're doing, what you're experiencing, you're okay. You're going to be okay. Just stay where you are, pray where you are, give from where you are, and let tomorrow worry about itself. And I think that's just a fundamental Alcoholics Anonymous truth that again gets taken for granted because it's become a cliche, but it actually means something. So John, it's always a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I always get an opportunity to discuss things with you that matter to me. You bring them out in me and you're patient with my long explanations. And I want you to know, you know, in this season of gratitude, I'm sure grateful for you and all the work you do here at Sober Speak. I love you, John. Thanks for everything. Keep sending me the texts. They make the, they mean the world to me. I wanted to tell you, I met an Aboriginal guy in Sydney who kept walking by me and lingering and walking away. And I finally said, can I help you? And he said, I'm not sure who you, who you're, who I think you are. And I said, who do you think I am? And he said, I think you're Matthew M. And I said, I am Matthew M. And he goes from Long Beach. And I said, yeah. And he just started to cry. And he said, I heard a tape of yours 17 years ago. And I listened to it for two years while it gave me hope to get back on my feet. And when I think of doing this work with you, I think what a blessing it is to be able to learn what we learn together and share it. And somebody we'll never meet somewhere is going to, you know, get some hope or, or some help for the day. Okay. So here is a little peek behind the curtains here. You may have noticed about 10 minutes or so. Well, many of you may not have noticed anything at all, but it was a little jagged there toward the end. And that is because my internet went out about 10 minutes ago. But Matthew, being an absolute pro, because we've done this several times before, and he could see it was still recording, kept on doing what he needed to do in order for us to wrap up this episode. God bless you, Matthew. Thank you so, so much. So, um, uh, and when I say that my voice disappeared over the last 10 minutes, for some of you, you may be rejoicing over... <laughs> that particular incident, but I wasn't able, so I was able to communicate with uh, Matthew via cell phone, but we weren't able to communicate while the actual recording is going on. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up now in the same that we, in the same way that we usually wrap up these episodes. And it is abandon yourself to God as you, this is page 164 from the big book. Just for those of you who don't know, abandon yourself to God as you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows, clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us like me and Matthew M as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep 
you until then. Once again, my friend Matthew, love you so much. And thank you for coming on today. Really appreciate it. And thank you for being an absolute pro uh, throughout this jaggedness of technology that we had. Thank you again. Thank you once again, Mr. Matthew M. He is so, so cool. And like I said on the beginning of this episode, so sweet, so insightful, just a great guy. We always enjoy listening to Matthew M. on the Sober Speak podcast here. Thank you so much, Matthew. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. Laura writes in, and the subject line is Grateful in Canada. She says, hi, John, this is Laura in Edmonton again. I can't tell you how much your podcast means to me. I like your banter at the beginning of the podcast. Some people call it gibberish, uh, but I like that, Laura. Uh, I like a banter at the beginning of the podcast and just talking about what's going on with you. Well, thanks, Laura. I feel like we're friends, even though we have never met. I was wondering if you could get me in touch with Rachel W. from episode number 220. I love what she said about writing a letter to her daughter every week. I have a 21-year-old daughter back home in Ontario who does not speak to me. I have tried for years to reach out via email. I received a short supply. I received a short reply this past Christmas, but I love the idea of letter writing. Thanks for all you do, your sister in sobriety, Laura P. Well, Laura P., as you know, I got you in touch with Rachel W. And if you are out there and you're thinking about, well, I just started listening which episode should I listen to? There's 300 plus episodes here. Well, 220 with Rachel W would be a great one to start with. She that is, I think it's my favorite episode of all time. Rachel W does such a great job in that interview. I I got a little uh, beclamped, a little. Uh, uh, emotional myself. Uh, and uh, anyway, go back and listen to that. It's just great. And uh, Laura P., I hope uh, you uh, and Rachel are able to uh, have some good conversation about that and about her experience. And I like how you say your sister in sobriety. When I see that, your sister in sobriety, it made me start thinking in my head, oh gosh, what's that uh, 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 song? <laughs> I shouldn't do this, but here we go. Uh, Sisters are doing it for themselves. And you can't see me right now, Laura, which is probably a good thing, but I'm doing a little uh, shoulder shake, a little jimmy and a little dance and going to the sisters are doing it for themselves, standing on their own two feet, standing on that solid ground. Sisters are doing it. And you know, the lovely Mrs. M is probably in the other room listening to this thinking, what is he doing in there? <laughs> but anyway, thank you, sister in sobriety. I could be an honorary sister, right? I mean, there's, there's no, there's, there, there's no, uh, I, you can't keep me out of being a sister, right? I guess you could. Anyway, uh, thanks a lot. Johnny posted this in our super secret Facebook group. 
He says, three years today, exclamation point. He's three years sober. He says, I remember that February back in 21. I was detoxing and baffled as I had been in and out of AA since a teenager. A higher power directed me to the Sober Speak podcast, and I listened to Gary K. His talks resonated his talks resonated with me and I sent an email to John M asking him if he thought Gary would speak to me. John M assured me that he would and shortly thereafter Gary K and I connected. This guy from Boston who li- Boston who lives in Chicago now has a whole bunch of like-minded friends in Texas and Mississippi and truly all over the country. There really is nothing better than this thing of ours. Thank you all. Johnny, I could tell you've been talking to Gary. He calls it this thing of ours. Uh, I love that. And I think it's just absolutely fantastic. Congrats on your uh, three days. And thanks for posting that in the super, super secret Facebook group. All right. So a couple of uh, weeks ago, I posted a, a question. Uh, oh, should I... <sighs> Should I read the question? Nah, I don't want to read the question. I just want to read the comments. So I, I basically just asked people uh, what they had learned over the recent path. You know, what sort of, uh, I didn't put it this way at the time, but what sort of onions were being unpeeled, if you will? Oh, no, 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 not, yeah, yeah. What layers were coming off of the onion and what were they learning recently about their sobriety? And we got all kinds of comments and it was really cool. By the way, if you're not part of the super secret Facebook group and you'd like to go in there and post your own questions, um, uh, find a Facebook application uh, and search up Sober Speak Secret Group and we will get you on in. But anyway, I had a lot of, there were a lot of responses, I, probably close to 20 and I'm only going to read a few. I can't read all of them. Uh, but the question was basically, you know, what have you learned over the past year about yourself, about recovery, whatever it is? And Chris F. posted in the uh, Facebook group, he said, yesterday I was thinking the spiritual experience is really just a change in perspective. Where I go from filtering life from my alcoholic thinking to processing it through God's unconditional love, and it's this shift in the way that I see things that opens up new doors because I'm no longer shooting myself in the foot with self-will, and I'm no longer imposing limitations on what God can do for me by trying to play God myself. And then he says, my life does not have to change that much externally for miracles to take place internally. Very well put, Chris. I appreciate you writing that in there. And then Debbie posted, uh, she posted, she says, there is a long, it's all spelled out with a bunch of O's and N's and G's, road of construction ahead. It's not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. Amen, Miss Debbie. I understand that. Deborah posted, not 
Debbie, but Deborah is another one. I'm learning how very selfish and self-centered I really was. It's painful, but nothing I want to drink over. Man, man, that still happens for me, Deborah. I appreciate that. And finally, Scott posted, he says, I've recently learned through one of your speakers of meditation, taking the third step prayer line by line. In other words, the quote was, what would it be like to be totally relieved of the bondage of self? Like, what would that be like? If you're out there listening today, think about what would it be like if I totally was relieved of the bondage of self? And then Scott says, I think of this often. Very well put. And by the way, he's referencing Randy M and the episode that we had with him where he did the third step prayer on the beginning of the episode. (sighs) Okay. I feel better. I don't know if you feel better, but I feel better now that this, uh, not that the episode is over, but now that I have uh, uh, been able to experience this episode and all the listener feedback and everything we put on the beginning of talking to Matthew M., I just feel lighter. I don't know what that means, but I do. Anyway, all right, everybody, uh, that's another one in the books. Uh, I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week. Uh, keep coming back at work. Oh, you know what I'm about to do? Me and the lovely Mrs. M are about to go out for a little anniversary dinner. Yes, it is our anniversary. We've been married for 22 years. So we're going to go out and get a little something, something to eat. You know what I mean? Uh, But anyway, uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Uh, May God bless you and keep you until then. Love you guys. Bye-bye.